So let's take a moment to pray for Kevin before he preaches today. God, we thank you and praise you for this man who's dedicated his life to you. He's spent so many years in training and preparation. And now, God, he's here preaching and doing all the things that he does. Lord, we give you praise and honor and glory for that. We thank you that he can preach for us today and pray that you'll bless his very words, God, that they would be your words. Give him your spirit today, God, to, to teach us and to lead us closer to you. We give it to you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So glad you guys are here. Glad to be with you this morning. If you will stand up, we're going to read God's word together, and these words are just different than other words. And so we'll stand up just to acknowledge that. If you came from a church background and you hate that, again, sorry, Pastor Paul will be back next week. But these are, again, <laughs> these words are not like anything else. They can come alive to us if, if our hearts are turned that way and God chooses. So um, Genesis 1, 20, uh, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, oh, sorry, uh, uh, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Amen. You can sit down. So hard question for you. Why are you here? Why, 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 are, why are you here? It's my job to be here, but why, why are you here? Why are you here online with us? Why are you here in person? Uh, I want you to actually think about that for just a second. Why are you here? Actually, turn to one of the two people next to you. Just answer that question. Why, why are you here? Okay, so I imagine there were lots of ways that you could answer that question. And for many of us, it's more than one answer. We're not just here for one reason. We're here for lots of reasons. Here are just a few I came up with off the top of my head uh, earlier in the week. I was thinking, we are here because we love to worship. This is a place we get to do that. We are here because we want to learn something new. Maybe you grew up in this church, and it is just a good habit that you have. There is free child care. And if you have small kids like me, that is... I will listen to Pastor Paul as long as he wants. Um, I want to be around people. I didn't want to be lonely this weekend. It was going to be a long holiday weekend. I didn't want to be by myself. My parents made me is a perfectly acceptable answer. There's kind of a handsome or beautiful person I was kind of hoping to talk to after the service, so if Kevin could wrap this up. Uh, you know, like the things you're looking forward to. I was wondering um, also that maybe you just don't know. That happens to me. I, most of my life I would say, I don't stop and think, why am I here? 
I just have a habit of doing things. But whatever your reason, whether it's one or a bunch, I want you to hear that you belong here. Whatever the reason you came, whyever you're here, we're glad you're here. This is home for you. One of the other ways to answer that question, which we're going deep into today, is why are you here? Well, at some level, I hope it is to learn about Jesus. That's what we do here. We are here to learn about Jesus. And in particular, we're beginning a series this fall on learning about Jesus, finding Jesus in the Old Testament. So each week from now until Christmas, we're going to find Jesus in the Old Testament. And there are a couple reasons for that. So we've been spending the whole year in the book of Acts, and before that in the uh, Gospel according to Luke. And it's been the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. And those two books kind of end this with similar stories at the end. So Jesus, on the day that he came back to life, he uh, was raised from the uh, dead, his resurrection day, he goes on a walk with his friends and says this, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. And then later he's with his 11 disciples back in Jerusalem and, and says this, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus, would you do that again? The Apostle Paul at the end of Acts says this, or it says this about him. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade everyone about Jesus. Did you catch what is Jesus doing at the end of his kind of time on earth? He's explaining from the Old Testament how, didn't, hey, didn't you know? The law, the prophets, the Psalms that Pastor Paul keeps flipping to. He said earlier, why does he keep doing that? I think it's because it's right in the middle of the Bible. Like it just opens it up right to the middle. Uh, we, uh, like Jesus saying all that stuff that was pointing to me. Don't you know that? And then we see the end of Paul's life. He's in Rome and kind of behind enemy lines. What's he doing? He's explaining from what we now call the Old Testament about how this was always what Jesus was going to be like. So that's a, that's a serious reason we are doing this, because we as we were reading along as a staff and some other people were going, man, I wish we had the transcript of that. I wish I knew what Jesus said to them on that walk or what Paul was talking about for those years in Rome. And then this idea came. We could, we could look together. We could go look for God, look for Jesus in the Old Testament. There's this kind of theme in the Bible that says, if you seek God, you will find him. God is not far away. So we're seeking God in the Old Testament, in part because that's what we've been reading about, learning about together for the whole year, but also this other reason. So Pastor Paul was saying earlier, our church is in a time of transition. Pastor Bob's retiring after 30 years. On many occasions, Paul and Bob and Amy and Lori, they, they've all received what is a, like a lighthearted critique at times. And it sounds like this. You guys sure talk about Jesus a lot. You're like, one of the, you're like really kind of, a, I mean, like a lot about Jesus. And uh, I imagine Paul's response, something is like, yeah, I, I do that. We do that here. We talk about Jesus. It's on the wall. And if you go in the youth center, um, we talk about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Pastor Bob, in his kind of last two months here, when he was thinking about what he wanted to do, he had this idea that he wanted to make much of Jesus. He liked to go out like he's been here for 30 years, making much of Jesus. So we're going to do that together. Corinth, uh, as a church, has been around for 154 years. 
And I don't know what the next 154 years will look like, but if God gives it to us, and long after Bob's gone and Paul's gone and I'm gone and my son, one of my sons who comes next as a pastor, I'm just speaking that over him now. Uh, uh, don't tell him that. Uh, yeah, long after they're gone, if the Lord gives us another 154 years, I pray we're still making much of Jesus here. That's what we do. So then this, how do we find, what do we find in the Old Testament about Jesus? Well, we're going to start at the very beginning. And the book of Genesis actually starts with a very kind of audacious claim. It says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's this claim that there is a God and that he created all there is. There is a creator who created creation. That's the claim. There are other claims, other ideas about how the world came into being, and the Bible is saying, no, I intend to persuade you that this is what is true. There is a God, and he created us. Not just any God, but the Lord God, and he created all there is. It, the story of Genesis 1 goes on to say, God created light and darkness, he, the cosmos and the earth, and then he filled it with the sun and the moon and the stars and planets, with birds in the air and fish in the sea and animals on land. But then God really got going, and he had this really good idea. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. God said, let us. Who, who's us? That's the question. And that's the first hint we get of Jesus. I read a great commentary this week, and it said it so simply. The most likely answer to the question is, who is us? Like, who is he talking about? Is that God is talking about himself. What the Bible will ultimately reveal is that God has always existed as three in one. Father, Son, Spirit. Jesus, the Father, and the Spirit together in loving community before there ever was anything else. That's what's always been going on. That's the most real thing there is. And we see here a hint of Jesus. And Jesus was there at creation, but he was more than just there. He helped create everything there was. Jesus made human, he made human beings, and he made you. You exist because Jesus created you. The passage goes on to say, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God made humans in his image and likeness. What does that mean? There are actually lots of ideas about what that means, and they can be boiled down to the idea of, to most of them say something of a, there are things that we can do or think that other creatures can't do. And I think that's true. Some of that is what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. But sometimes when you don't understand things in the Bible, a really great thing to do is to get the Bible out and just look for some similar uh, words. When likeness and image, those two words together only use together one other time in the Bible. And it's in Genesis 5.3. So what does it mean to be made in the image and likeness of God? Well, let's see from Genesis 5.3. It says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Adam has a son in his own likeness and image. If you have met my wife and our daughter, my daughter was made in the image of my wife. We have a little Christy running around. To be made in the image and likeness of God is family language. It's not just that we were created by God. We were made to be his family. There were other ancient Near Eastern um, creation stories. And the reason people were made were for reasons like, well, God, need, God needed food, so he needed someone to work the earth, so we're his servants. 
Other ones are worse. We're his slaves, or maybe we're the God's food themselves, ourselves. But this is different. There is a God, and we were not created to be servants. We were made to be his family. But it's more than that. In the New Living Translation of this passage, it says, let us make mankind in our image to be like us. God's plan was not just that we would like look like him, not just have a little, like for in our family, we have a little Christie running around. It's not just that physically we look like them. It was that we would fill the earth and do what he did. God's goal was that there would be a, a bunch of people just like him who did what he would do from the very beginning. Even more, it's not just that we were made to be his family, to be like him, but we were also made to rule with him. To have dominion, to have to reign, to be masters of creation. And that language of power, I feel skittish uh, when I hear people with abs- the idea of absolute power, this idea of ruling and reigning. We fought a war a couple hundred years ago to get away from a king. Like, we don't do that here. We don't like that kind of language sometimes. But then the author of Genesis retells the story of creation in Genesis 2, and it says, you know, you know what it means to rule on earth? It's like being a caretaker of a garden. We're supposed to take care of this place as if it was our own. He didn't just make humans for no reason. He made us to rule with him. And if we would pause on the story of Genesis for a second and fast forward to the life of Jesus, Jesus comes as a rabbi and a teacher, and that's not an accident. So a rabbi would have disciples. He would invite people to follow him. And they, to be a disciple of Jesus means to arrange your life around these three goals. To be a disciple of Jesus means to arrange your life around these three goals. To be with God, to be like God, and to do what he would do if he were us. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus, to be like him, and to do what he would do. His disciples followed him around for three years to learn just about that. So what we see here is actually from the very beginning, God's plan was for us to be like him. When he came again in the person of Jesus, his plan was that we would become just like him. We are not kind of chronic or uh, cosmic accidents in this chronic state of like, why am I here? No. We have a purpose, a very specific purpose. We were created to be God's family and to be like him from the very beginning. That was always the plan. You have a purpose for your life, and it is to be like Jesus. Back to the passage. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Men and women, male and female, together they image God. And men and women are different, and yet together... There's something about us when we're together that uh, says, there's God. I see God. And we, together, men and women, were created to rule over creation. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it and rule. God says, I don't just want there to be a few of you. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want there to be a whole lot of you. Cover the earth. Fill it up. Cover it with people who will do what I would do if I was in their place. Rule on earth as I rule in heaven. God blesses human beings, and he is, uh, gives them this generous role of ruling, and then he gives them food to enjoy. It says in the text, which we won't read, um, but he gives them every fruit-bearing tree for food. And I just started to think and about what all that means, that God has been extraordinarily generous. So here's some things he gives them. 
apples and dragon fruits, apricots, papayas, mandarins, avocados, grapes, bananas, blackberries, blueberries, cherries, coconuts, cranberries, dates, figs, grapefruits, guavas, jackfruits, kiwis, lemons, mangoes, cantaloupes, honeydews, watermelons, uh, oranges, clementines, tangerines, passion fruit, peaches, pears. Okay, I won't do anymore. Um, but just to name a few of the things that we have to eat, what are your favorite foods? Just for a minute, turn back to the people who you talked to earlier. What, what's one of your favorite foods? What are your, like, I can give up anything, but if I have to give up that, it, it won't be good. So here's the thing. You have those things because God gave them to you. God, your mom, Betty Crocker, somebody gave them to you. And God did not just give us a few things. He gave us uh, all kinds of things for food. God is not stingy. He's extravagant. He doesn't stop with daily subsistence. He gives us a feast. He didn't just want a few of us. He wanted a whole world full of us. Jesus created us to be his family, to be like him, to rule. He gave us extravagant gifts and then this. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. The Hebrew here for it was very good is vahine tov me'od. Can you say that? No? Can you say tov me'od? Like, you guys got a Hebrew lesson? That is not why you came. That wasn't one of your answers. Uh, God said, it's not just okay that people are here. It's very good. God loves creation. We can't miss that. I was thinking that God loves us might be the most kind of basic fundamental idea in all of like Christian church. You didn't need me to tell you that. You You probably knew that already. But the question of why you are here led me to think about there have been a few transformational times in my life where I've been asking that question, what am I doing here? What's happening here? And they, and it ultimately centers around this idea, does God love me? One of my unanswered questions at specific times in my life is like, does, does God even love me? One such moment I had become, the short version is I had become the person I most hated in the world. And uh, when you don't like yourself, you're not fun to be around. And then in a time of worship, God made it clear to me that he, that all that I've done, all my sin, all the things that I hated could not stop his love for me. And the same is true for you. Whatever your bad motivations or good motivations for being here, whatever you have done, I am convinced of this, that Jesus loves you. It wasn't just true that he really loved creation at the beginning. He loves it now. Those most famous words from the Bible are actually true, for God so loved the world. The second moment of transformation was not a time where my sin got in the way of me realizing God loved me, but it was actually a time where circumstances and pain made it feel like God didn't care at all. If God loved me, why were things so bad? Why the pain? Does God even care? Am I alone? Have I been forgotten about? And I was in a small group of Christian people, and the leader uh, in that room read these words from the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1. He said, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I told you that the words of the Bible will sometimes come alive to you, maybe when you're least expecting it. And those words were alive to me. The idea that I was still here was proof that Jesus had not forgotten about me. Verse 17 says, he is holding all things together. If Jesus were to forget about me, I would cease to exist. If that's real, then I would not be here if Jesus forgot about me. And that was very good news to me. And it may be very good news to you. If you are still here, God has not forgotten about you. Jesus still loves you. Again, I know that's the most, one of the most basic teachings in all of the Bible. And I, it was the, the first thing I learned about God. And it was in the first song I learned to sing as my parents brought me up in the church to sing, Jesus Loves Me. But those, that idea, that reality, that there is a God who created us, he made us to be his family, to rule with him, to be like him, and that he loves us, changed my life, and it still changes people's lives, whether they're babies or old. It's important here to say that often when we talk about Jesus, we, um, what can get in the way of us realizing that God loves us is we try to, we take sin very seriously. We are not okay. Things, like, you should not leave us. God did not leave us to our own devices, and that's good. Sin is real to us. But sometimes when you talk about Jesus, we can talk about human beings as if they're problems for God to solve. God's got the sin problem, so he's got to fix the sin problem, and, uh, it's like a giant, Cosmic calculus problem, but that is not true. It is not just that going on. There's something way more important going on. Human beings, you are, I am, we are not problems to be solved. We are children to be rescued. Jesus made us to be his family. We are not problems in his life that he just wishes he could fix and make better. We are children he longs to rescue and redeem. That we might be who we always had in mind when he made us. You are a child in the family of God. And you have an extravagant purpose. And you are loved by Jesus. Our passage closes this way. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he was doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. The work of creation is done. The creator created creation, and when he was done, he rested and he enjoyed it. Now, God's not tired. He's not, oh, that was, that was tough. I almost didn't make it. No, this is, um, uh, among other things, royal imagery. The king is at home in the palace resting. He is not engaged in some cosmic battle in the forces of good and evil. At least in this moment, the king is at home and at peace. The last image we get of God in this creation account is God enjoying creation. And as I was thinking about how we could apply this to our lives, we just don't want to hear God's word. We want it to change who we are from the inside out. And so practices help us do that. I came up with a few ways that we might enjoy creation like God did on that seventh day. When God saw human beings, he thought it was very good. When he had a chance to enjoy creation, that's, he set aside a whole day and he just did that. One of the first ideas about how you can enjoy creation this week is to pray for wonder. It's been almost 20 years since I first read Brennan Manning's book, Ragamuffin Gospel, and I can still remember this quote. It'll be up on the screen for you. 
We get so preoccupied with ourselves, the words we speak, the plans and projects we conceive, that we become immune to the glory of creation. We barely notice the cloud passing over the moon or the dewdrops clinging to the rose leaves. The ice on the pond comes and goes. The wild berries ripen and wither. The blackbird nests outside our bedroom window and we don't see her. We grow complacent and lead practical lives and we miss the experience of awe and reverence and wonder. It's true for me. I get busy and I can lead a very practical life and I can become immune to the glory of creation. But we, but we don't have to. I don't have to. Wonder is available to us. We could ask God, can you make us see the wonder that is in our normal everyday life? Brendan Manning, at the end of that chapter, offers this prayer. He says, dear Lord, grant me the grace of wonder. Surprise me. Amaze me. Awe me in every crevice of your creation in your universe. Delight me to see how your Christ plays in 10,000 places. Lovely in limbs, lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through features, features of men's faces. Each day enrapture me with your marvelous things without number. I do not ask to see the reason for it all. I ask only to share the wonder of it all. Now that is not what my prayers sound like. That was beautiful. You can Google that and use it if you want to. But you can pray. We can pray. God, would you give me wonder? Help me see the wonder again today. Another idea is to eat food you love to eat and really thank God. I, recently, I learned that I, something that might help you. I have sometimes trouble rem- like it, really thanking God before I start to eat because I'm so hungry. God, I'm just hungry. And it feels like a formality to pray. So here, if that's you, it doesn't have to be you. If that's you, I want to give you this advice. Take one bite first. You sit at the table, you're so hungry, take a bite, and then what will come out of your lips is thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this. You don't, and, and that's very natural and good. Take a bite, then say thank you. Um, God is really taking care of us, and for most of us, he has done so extravagantly. Finally, read Colossians 1, 15 through 17 this week and try to believe it. That everything, including you, were made by Jesus, and he is holding you together. If Jesus had forgotten you, you would not be here, and you are here. Jesus has not forgotten you. He has not forgiving, forgotten me, and he is still holding us together. There's lots of other ways. Take a walk in creation. Look at yourself in the mirror and just say, thank you, God. Scroll through pictures of your family and friends. Remember your parents and thank God for them. There are so many ways. But to close, wrap it all up, I want to go back to our opening question. Why are you here? And this is your answer. You are here because Jesus created you to be his family, to be like him, and to rule with him, and he loves you. He always has, and he always will. Please pray with me. God, thank you that you are making yourself known to us, and you have from the beginning. As we seek you, God, this morning, this week, and every Sunday between now and Christmas, help us find you. Thank you that you're holding us together. Would you give us awe and wonder again? Do it again. Help us love what you love and enjoy the creation you made. Help us feel as valuable as we actually are. Rescue us from sin and evil. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.